1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live, who managed to stay up all the way through player availabilities yesterday. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe, who did not. Uh, Nicole, how you doing?
0: I am well rested, Tom. Um, so yeah. glad to hear it. Apologies <laughs> for the listeners. I guess one of my greatest strengths is that I've never had sleep problems and that, like, I can fall asleep very quickly. Like, an average night takes me, like, less than three minutes to fall asleep. And if I'm really tired, I can fall asleep, like, instantaneously. Like, I've fallen asleep in the dentist chair before. Um, <laughs> And last night, I honestly forget, oh, it was Jason Tatum, who isn't the most interesting player to have availability from either. And I was just like, I'm going to close my eyes for one second, rest my eyes. And I closed them. And then when I woke up, it was 2.20 a.m. And I had an audio recording of two hours and 49 minutes and counting. So texted Tom, who was still awake and was like, sorry, I fell asleep. So here we are now.
1: Here we are. Yes, we meant to record an episode after Game Three, which the Celtics claimed one seventeen to one hundred six over the Miami Heat. Obviously, this puts the Celtics back in the series, although they are still kind of on a razor's edge. Gordon Hayward came back. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, both had nice games all around. You know, pretty successful evening for the Celtics. Nicole, uh, what were uh, just your, your big takeaways from last night?
0: Obviously, it was a must-win game for the Celtics, and they managed to hang on at the end. It got like a little dicey, um <laughs> even in the fourth quarter, and that was kind of crazy because the Heat played like shit all game, in my opinion. The Celtics were up by twenty at one point, and like the fact that the Heat were not to start off with a negative because I know they just won, and like that's a big deal. But like the fact that they let them back in that closely, like I get getting a twenty-point lead down to like twelve or whatever, but like. The The Heat could have made it a one-possession game in the final minute if Duncan Robinson had made the second free throw, or I guess the first free throw of the flagrant. And then if the Heat made a three, it's a three-point game. And, like, the Heat have dangerous three-pointers. Like, that's all hypothetical, but... I mean, I think it's just reflective of the same problems of what we saw in games one and two is that the Heat stick around and the Celtics let them stick around. And like that happened again, even though the Celtics won. So I guess my big takeaway is that the Heat played really bad, yet they still had a fighting chance. And that's not a great sign for the Celtics. However, turning more to positives, they did bring Gordon Hayward back. The best five lineup played well. And, I mean, they won a game. That's all that mattered, especially after everything that happened following game two. They really needed to win this, and they did.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny what we focus on after a win and after a loss, right? Because the glass half full take, or the glass half empty take is what you just said, which is like, yo, the Celtics were up by 20 and they let the same thing happen yet again. The Heat didn't play that well, you know. Jay Crowder was two for 10 from three. Uh, I think the Heat as a whole, yeah, they were 27.3% from three. And then glass half full take is, well, the Celtics took a double digit lead for the third time in three games. They just finally managed to hold one. Both points have some validity to them because we have seen like the Celtics have some success, especially if they can just not lose their minds and, and run around like their heads are cut off against the zone, then they're okay. Um, It's just that every single game they lose their minds and run around with their heads cut off. So I'm with you. Like I, I think that there's some reason for concern for the Celtics, but but yeah, to the to the larger point, they just needed to win one now, and, and I mean you know Jason Tatum said after the game like we don't have to win all four at once; we just have to win one at a time. Now it's game four, and they just have to do it again. And like, and that's the scary thing about putting yourself in two in an no 2 hole is like it feels like the Celtics are back in this series you know they have Gordon Hayward back you know their guys did click a little bit yesterday all of that is, is true also if they lose game four Probably none of it matters because coming back from 3-1 is really, really hard. It's going to be interesting. Celtics fans and players and coaches and media have free days to think about it because the game isn't until Wednesday.
0: Well, actually, if you ask Jalen Brown, the game started last night, Tom. The
1: game started last night, correct. (laughs) Let's get into Gordon Hayward's return a little bit because that was probably the big story from last night, even though the best player on the floor I thought last night was Jalen Brown by a pretty wide margin. I thought he was terrific. Gordon Hayward came back, played 30 minutes. Brad, before the game, said that he would be on sort of like uh, I don't remember what the phrase he used, but minutes
0: monitoring.
1: Minutes monitoring. So they monitored him. He played a good amount of a good amount of minutes, and uh, that, like I, I thought, just having that guy around to sort of smooth the offense and run the offense a little bit was was pretty big.
0: I feel like he didn't even do anything. Like he monitored the minutes, but there was no action because he even said after the game he was like, "Yeah, he played way more than I was expecting." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think honestly when Gordon came out of the game, yeah, maybe Brad called him out for different reasons with the rotation, but Gordon called out because he was tired and he admitted yeah. that after the game. He was like, yeah, the first five minutes I was gassed because this is the first five on five basketball he's played in five weeks basically. And yeah. he noted like, especially during this time with the coronavirus, your rehab isn't even, isn't even the same that it would be otherwise. So I feel like it was a bit more challenging of a transition than normal. And for that reason, he looked better than i was expecting
1: going from three on three basketball to the eastern conference finals that, like that's crazy
0: and like his stats weren't impressive like yeah. he scored six points on two for seven shooting one of three from three had five rebounds four assists i mean as a solid line but it honestly is the fact that like he came off the bench so when they go to the bench it's like okay let's look at how much time Shemi Osley got tonight Oh, none. So it's like the fact that they can just have better players overall. I'll be curious to see, I guess, if he ever is inserted back into the starting lineup or if they're not going to try and mess with sort of the chemistry and like the rhythm that they seem to have. I think just having Gordon, even if he does contribute what he did, the Heat can't really help off of him as much from three as they can with Shemi. Like this, the Heat can like ditch Shemi and it often won't burn you.
1: Like the threat of having somebody else who can create off the dribble, who can get into the teeth of the defense a little bit. I obviously much was made of the zone. Brad kind of downplayed it a little bit. Like the Celtics struggle, have struggled against the zone. Gordon Hayward is the type of player who can help them beat one. And I, I thought he did you know there were a couple of plays last night where they didn't even make the shots but like the ball just moved so much better through the zone I think that was actually a theme throughout the evening and, and something that you know Celtics can take some encouragement from is that it looks to me like they were getting the right types of looks that they were making the right types of reads that they were you know moving the ball the right way and uh, you know that resulted in more coherent offense and then in the fourth quarter when they sort of had the game almost put away they reverted to the kind of offense that got them in trouble in games one and two and And, you know, what? surprise, surprise, here come the Heat. Like, they're right back in the game all of a sudden. So, like, players like to talk about playing a 48-minute game. You can't do it. Like, you can't play wire-to-wire awesome. So, for the Celtics, it's just a matter of limiting the times that they're not playing awesome. Hit them back a little bit. And Hayward really helps with that because he can come in, he can get a quick bucket, he can, you know, find somebody, he can kind of smooth things over. And I think that really helps quite a lot.
0: And to the Celtics' credit, they did stop a few heat runs, I guess a pair. They did, yeah, for sure. In the first half, the Celtics got up to a 12-point lead, and Tyler Hero basically single-handedly brought the heat back within four, and then Tatum got called for a stupid technical foul, and... Mark Jackson on the broadcast was like really blowing this foul out of proportion in my opinion. I don't know if you remember, but he was like, "Yeah, you just never know and like maybe the Heat will come back into it and then maybe the Heat will win the series and then you'll never have a chance to ever go to the finals ever again." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> you need to like tone it down a notch." But anyway, Goran Dragic made the technical free throw so they were in, they were within 3. But then Jalen Brown basically single-handedly gave the Celtics the lead for really on like tight on-ball defense. I think he stole the ball like three times and uh,
1: he stole it twice. Yeah,
0: stole it twice. Okay, and it was just like great stuff. And the Celtics ended up going into the half with a 13-point lead, and it definitely didn't look like it was trending that way because all of that happened. I think they went on a I forget what the run is, but it was like 11 to two or like 9-0 run over the course of like two minutes.
1: It was 11 to 2 and it was the best 5 lineup that did that. You know, a lot of that was just Jalen being excellent on both ends, but you know, I, I think that did speak to like how fast and aggressive that group can play, And then, you know, to your point about stopping runs, you know, the same thing happened toward the end of the third quarter. Uh, Miami went on an 11-to-1 run, looked like they were going to, you know, have a chance to get back in it. So the Celtics, for most of the third quarter, played great. Like, they actually were excellent, and they've been so bad in third quarters. And then there was a stretch, that 11-to-1 Miami run, where you're like, oh, they're doing it again. Miami's got the lead down to nine. And then, you know, Kemba hit a hit a jumper. I think Tatum hit, I think he hit a layup, and or he hit like a, a couple of free throws or something like that. That And, uh, you know, the lead was right back up to 15 again, entering the fourth quarter. And it was like, oh, wow, the Celtics survived a, a third quarter. So Miami is not going to get blown out. We know that now. All you got to do is is just counter their runs a little bit, like cut those runs off before they get too crazy. The way the Celtics have been playing and giving themselves leads, like they'll be in good shape
0: so the heat didn't lead at all during this game and that was the first time in their last 70 games that they never held the lead
1: that speaks to uh Miami just does not they just don't get blown out it's what makes you know the Celtics job look so uphill right now it's it's why it's why when when you look at what the Celtics have to do over the next 4 games so difficult because like you're not going to get the freebie Against Toronto, the Celtics won game five in a blowout, and it wasn't, you know, it, it was game like one. Pretty, And those were comfortable games, and you're not going to get that against Miami. So, like, and again, that's why you have to look at it game by game, because if you think about it and be like, man, we're not going to get a break over the next, like, four games, like, that's going to be exhausting. You have to just be like, all right, we're going to grind out the next one and go from there.
0: Well, and that's why it was so, I don't want to sound dramatic and say scary, but that's why it was so concerning that it got so close in the fourth quarter because I still think the Heat played horribly. Like it was not a good game for them. Like Jimmy Butler had a horrible game. He finished still with like 15 points on 46.2% shooting. So like respectable stats, eight rebounds, but like, he was hunting for fouls, he could not get anything going, like he there was no real like Jimmy Butler the closer play. I mean, there wasn't an opportunity for that right. either, but like I just didn't think he looked good. Goran Djojic had Marcus Smart guarding him for the first time this series and he was limited to 11 points on 2 for 10 shooting, 1 for 5 from 3. The Heat could not get anything going offensively. Tyler Hero really kept them in it with his hot three point shooting in the first half. I mean Duncan Robinson went four of eight from three, but the Celtics also started to really attack Duncan Robinson on their offensive end. So he finished with five fouls. Like I feel like he's constantly gonna have a little bit of foul trouble. Yeah, And so I still think like the fact that the Heat were in it, I'm not trying to overstate how much they were in it because it was just like just barely. But the fact that that opportunity even arise is like not great.
1: So I think the two things you mentioned there are things that the Celtics can really build on. I mean, attacking Duncan Robinson always felt like a no-brainer. You got to go at that guy. Like, force a switch and go at him because, like, he can't, especially Jalen early on, he could not stay with Jalen at all. The the attacking styles of Jalen and Jason are so different, like, Tatum can, you know, kind of finesse you and then, like, do all, all this stuff with the footwork. And then Jalen is just so, like, he's just, like, very, like, a powerful driver who who can put his head down. And, like, you know, he, he's fast enough that Robinson can't stay in front of him at all. So, like, Robinson is either going to give up a bucket or commit a foul or force somebody else to help. Like, that's something that's very sustainable for the Celtics. And I think that having smart on Dragic is really important, too, because, like, the thing about Jimmy Butler is that while he's a star, for the most part, he's not like a go for like 55 points kind of guy. You know, he's much more of like a like a pick-of-spots guy, especially on the heat. So if you can take Dragic out of the game, that takes a, uh, you know, really important part of their offense down. And, at the, and then, you know, Miami would be relying on Jimmy Butler to put up huge numbers. And he would have to put up those huge numbers against Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are both really good defenders. So putting smart on Dragic was a good idea. I think that that'll probably continue.
0: I mean, so Bam Adebayo had a good game stats-wise. He finished with 27 on 10 for 14 shooting. Like, that's the stat line you want, but...
1: Game high 16 rebounds.
0: I mean, I guess he sort of powered their fourth quarter run, but but it didn't really come at the beginning. And, like, the Celtics Mm -hmm. have always gotten out to a lead, and Bam seems to sort of struggle. Like, I'm wondering whether they're going to try and make him um, sort of, like, assert himself at the beginning of Game 4 because I think that's really where their advantage is. Like you mentioned, Jimmy Butler is obviously, like, a central element to the Heat in their identity. But I think, like, one thing they could do, especially if Smart and I expect him to, continues to guard Boren is to just go to Bam, like, feed Bam, like, the Bam dunks and try and, like, get that going with him in pick and roll. I mean, who knows? But, like, I think that... That just puts pressure on the Celtics because that could put Tyson foul trouble. That could put whoever switches onto him foul trouble and things like that. And so obviously Grant Williams has proven that he can stick with Bam like good enough. But I think if Bam really can successfully like establish himself in the paint and like he has the potential to dominate, I feel like we haven't really seen that yet though
1: like you're you're 100% right about Grant like he's just not quite he's he's done okay but he's he's not quite quick enough laterally to to be perfect against Bam he's, he's probably going to commit some fouls he did on Saturday you know the problem with the pick and roll is that you need somebody like the person who's passing to you has to deliver the pass the right way with smart on dragic that's hard because smart is perfect position-wise, he's, you know, he's, he's pretty natural at that. You know, you you kind of go down the lineup. It's like, okay, so who are some of the other guys who can do that? And in, in their starting lineup, most of the guys, you know, could do something except for Jay Crowder. Like Jay Crowder is not a guy who can really do that. And that's where the Celtics put Kemba Walker who would be the player who would have the most trouble guarding a pick and roll. So I do feel like sticking smart on Dragic has a lot of really nice effects for the Celtics in that it allows all of their best defenders to guard in a way that limits Bam. I do think that in the starting lineup, they have a pretty good setup right now. Um, I'll be curious to see how Miami counters it because Eric Spoelstra has three days off to, to to try to figure out how to get everybody going again.
0: I just think that that might be what Eric Spoelstra goes to based on like the adjustments the Celtics made yeah. in this series, like or in this game. I I wonder if that's what at least one part of his counter will be to try and get Bam really rocking early.
1: I could see that. And I think the other thing too is there's ways to use Bam when the Celtics, the Celtics tried some zone themselves, um, in game three. There's ways to use Bam as a pick and roll man in, in that zone as well. That could be intriguing. A Couple more small notes I had. Ennis Cantor had a couple of like decent moments and I thought Brad played in the exact right amount of time, which is, you know, about six minutes, let him post up a couple of times and then, uh, get him out of there before it hurts
0: you. Ennis Cantor is, it's honestly hilarious. I feel like you know exactly what you're going to get. Like, every time he gives the exact same thing, he sort of, like, bullies his way to the rim to get some sort of, like, mildly impressive offensive bucket. He misses, like, a bunny, like a gimme layup, but he'll get the offensive rebound and sometimes miss the putback as well.
1: But often gets fouled the second time.
0: Then on the defensive end, he, I guess, like, holds his ground, but will get cooked in the pick and roll. Like, it's the exact same thing. I think every single time, at least on the offensive end, cause I guess the defensive end, it's contingent upon what the other team's doing, but at least in the offensive time, every time Ennis Kanter's in the game, I see him like power his way to the hoop, and then I see him miss a really easy bucket that he should have made and get the offensive rebound. Like, right? Like, I feel like you just get
1: stuff from
0: him. When he
1: gets like six minutes, it is a very, it is, it is a formula. You, you know what's going to happen. He would, I just think he'd be such a, such a different, more effective basketball player if he could just like pass really well out of the post. Not, not that he has to be like Nikola Jokic, but if he could be like Nurkic, just a guy who's like solid. That we're, we don't need to go too long on Aniskanter, but I'm um, just
0: saying, like he went one for four last night, and I wouldn't be surprised if all four attempts came on the same possession.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, yeah, he had two offensive rebounds, and I, <laughs> we, I would bet you that it, I, I know that at least one of them was off his own miss. So I didn't have too much else. I mean, I thought, you know, obviously a lot was made of all the uh, locker room turmoil. Everybody seems to be perfectly friendly and cordial with each other.
0: So obviously, from the reports. Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart were the central members to everything that happened. Um, It sounds like they're fine. I mean, Jalen said after the game, when he spoke, he said that, He loves Marcus. This is why he loves Marcus, because of his passion. The thing I find interesting about Jalen and Marcus is that they clearly get along. The Celtics clearly have good chemistry, but I feel like their relationship is actually a lot more tumultuous, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation, than people expect. Like I remember at Jalen Brown's gala, his first community gala that he held last season, Marcus went and they presented some award to Marcus. I can't remember what it was, but Jalen gave a little speech about him and he was like, Marcus and I have been on the team now for what, three years? This is Jalen's fourth year now. Yeah. So three years and, you know, our relationship hasn't always been easy. Like we haven't always gotten along. Like it sounds like they butt heads more frequently than people would expect because you see, obviously, like the clips of them dancing together and them joking around. And I genuinely think they like each other and everything is fine. But I think this isn't the first time that they've had something like this. I think this is the first time where it's sort of blown up on a public setting and obviously in an important stage, like the playoffs, but this has happened between the two of them before, just based on how Jalen has talked about their relationship.
1: It it sounds like, basically, it's just like, it's just kind of the mentality of the two guys, like smart early on was kind of trying to test Jalen. Jalen didn't appreciate that. You know, I think Jalen may have barked back a little bit and it seems like, you know, the two of them have kind of settled into like a, like a mutual respect type of thing where they do really like each other, but also like, yeah, they are going to, uh, they're, they're going to butt heads sometimes. They're, they're two very different personalities when those two very different personalities are such crucial components of the team and are so integral in the team's like success or failure Sometimes that's going to lead them to butt heads and that, like you said, that doesn't mean they don't like each other. That doesn't mean they're not going to do that. Dun, 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 dance. I can't remember what that is because they enjoy each other they seem to be friends but also they're uh two very different uh humans who react to things in very different ways
0: so and that might be part of the reason why Jalen said that it all got blown out of proportion yesterday because this probably has happened before but it's the first time that it's in a setting where the media can really overhear it and then i'm sure it was escalated to a point where it hasn't been like Gary Washburn said in his story that Jalen flipped a table. I mean, maybe that has happened before, but I can't even picture that. Like, Jalen flipping a table. Like, he's such a mellow dude. That shocked me that Jalen flipped a table.
1: Yeah, that was that was the probably the clank.
0: Anyway, so I just think that, like, they've had their disagreements before. And so I would believe Jalen. I don't think he's just trying to, like, temper the situation. Like, I would believe Jalen when he says it got blown out of proportion.
1: I also think the other reason to believe Jalen is that he's the only guy who's really been honest with us about things. You know, like, hey, I'm not going to believe anything Kemba Walker has to say about that. Like, if he says it got blown out of proportion, I'd be like, I don't know. Then it probably didn't. Well, because Kemba, Kemba it didn't happen. Kemba, because Kemba just literally said it didn't happen. So I, I think Jalen, because he's been honest about it and because he, you know, he's, I mean, obviously he was a little cryptic. It's not like he came out and said like, ah, yes, me and Smart argued and I flipped a table. But like he, he was, you know, he said it's a bunch of guys who really care, who were, you know, wanted to win and, and were upset. And that's that's what it was. And like, that makes sense. That's, that's a good summation of what happened without going in into any of the juicy details that we all wanted. So I think that's fair.
0: Another thing I really enjoyed from last night was Grant Williams being mic'd up. More of that. He's the best mic'd up candidate on the Celtics.
1: He definitely is. It almost kind of sounded like he knew he was mic'd up, and he was like, like he had like the the stash line in Gordon that just like didn't make that much sense, but you could tell he was like, it, it sounded like the kind of line you'd be like, ah, mustache, am I right, Gordon? Like, you guys getting this? All right, cool.
0: He knew. Grant he isn't a full Ennis, but like he has like shades of that in him. <laughs> he like knows that he's being watched or he knows that the camera's on him so he'll act a certain way.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: But I, I particularly enjoyed when he was going through his handshakes. Him and Jalen Brown did some sort of handshake, but it ends with rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Grant won, but he announced it was a loss, like, basically as soon as he put out the scissors. Like, it was a very quick determination by him, which made me laugh.
1: It was also funny because, like, Grant had this, like, big enthusiastic grin, like, ha, 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 lose, ha, ha. And, like, Jalen is just, like, just stone-faced, like, staring straight ahead.
0: (laughs) Didn't react to losing at all, just, like, kept going. Kept
1: it moving. It's hilarious because, like, Mike Breen uh, after that was like, oh, the Celtics really like Grant Williams. And I was like, yeah, they do, but, like, they also, like, see him as, like, the little brother who they're just like, okay, Grant. Like, I think that's uh, I think that's how a lot of them look at him, just as this, like, over-enthusiastic rookie, especially Tatum from what we've seen in the locker room and from the fact that his locker is right next to Grant's. Yeah. I feel like he bears the brunt of that energy.
0: They obviously love Grant. I think – 100%,
1: yeah.
0: I think Grant just loves socializing and talking so much that – I mean, especially Tatum is such a mellow, low-key guy that their personalities are just so different. (laughs) like grant is so chatty another thing i was shocked that gordon's mustache survived his trip back to indiana (laughs) because robin hates it so i thought for sure she was gonna be like you have to shave that off but no
1: no no. i did uh we we also should probably mention that that he will stay in the bubble for the duration for the celtics whether or not robin gives birth
0: yeah i felt sort of bad for robin because she posted on instagram last night no, I'm not in labor. When I want to tell everybody when this boy is born, I will. Until then, LOL, just please stop talking about it. Gordon isn't going to leave the bubble for the birth, so just stop asking that too. Thank you, upside down smiley face. I feel like she has just been bombarded with questions about giving birth. I mean, there was that whole thing with people jokingly telling her to induce so that way Gordon could Go back for both his injury and the birth. Like, I feel like this is just a tough time in general for Gordon to be gone for three months. But then for Gordon to be gone for three months while she's pregnant and expected to give birth during this time, like, I feel like it's got to be a pain. Yeah.
1: So I, I tweeted, like, I hope that Gordon and, and Robin came to this decision together and that they just, like, discussed it and that this wasn't, like, something where they felt pressured by fans on social media or, like, you know, talk radio or whatever it might be or the media or whatever. I hope that it's, like, just something that they decided that this was the best decision for both of them. I ended up deleting the tweet because it was just, like, it's it's kind of none of my business. Like, whatever they decide to do is their decision to do. But, I mean, I, I hope... <laughs> I deleted the tweet, but I'll reiterate it here. I hope that this is a decision that they, uh, that they came to together and that it wasn't a result of outside pressure. To miss the birth of a child would be tough. All right guys. Well, we will leave it there. Thank you everybody who listened. Thank you for everybody who's left a five star review. We appreciate it and we will talk to you all soon.